Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-hosts, the amazing Aaron Adams and I, are recording this show on Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. And Aaron, wasn't it on our last show when I said that in the wake of Avengers Endgame coming out on Blu-ray and DVD that maybe we were going to have to cut back on the number of Marvelous Disney episodes because there just wasn't going to be as much news to support a weekly podcast. I I think it's all my fault because I was also the one that mentioned probably on the last podcast how Feige could walk into any studio and kick open the door like an 800-pound gorilla and go, now listen here, see, this is how much we're going to take and you're going to like it, see? And boy, it's like I'm accidentally running the Marvel Corporation by proxy somehow, and I made a tragic, tragic error. And <laughs> and someone heard it and went, yeah, go do that. And everything fell apart, and I apologize. What Aaron's referring to, if you folks aren't aware, is what a lot of people in the entertainment press are calling the Disney and Sony divorce, or at least the battle over Spider-Man. And boy, how to explain this, Aaron? Where does Tom Holland spend Christmas? <laughs> he's got to do two now as he just go to sony and that you know mom i'm home and screw dad <laughs> but you know now what's so interesting you you bring him up because this 20 year old kid has been the most gracious i want to start off by talking about he's on stage at the d23 expo as part of the studio's presentation and he's there he's doing a voice along with chris pratt from guardians of the galaxy the the two of them are playing brothers in a new Pixar film called Onward. And these things are ridiculously tightly scripted. And Tom actually went off script and said, look, I know it's been a crazy week and I want to thank everybody for being understanding. And he, as he walked off stage, he was like, I love you 3000. The adult in the room <laughs> is the 20 year old. Well, he wants to keep a job. Right now. Well, that's, that's job security happening right there. He's not going to trash talk Sony and be like, those dirty, rotten, we had something good here. He's going to follow the paycheck, do his thing. And the other thing is, nothing mm-hmm. is written in stone. No, it did. and in fact, that that's an excellent point, which we'll get to in a few minutes here. Let's climb in the way back and go back to May of 2014, which is when The Amazing Spider-Man 2 was released to theaters. And that thing cost between 200 and 290 million dollars depending on who you talk to at columbia only so 202 million worth of tickets stateside 500 some odd million overseas box office with the total worldwide was 708 million dollars which the way hollywood does math this mark webb movie was going to turn a profit but not all that big a one they could all go buy bubblegum at the end of the day <laughs> That was how it worked out, right? Yeah. A piece for you, a piece for you. (laughs) Well, the thing that most concerned the people at Sony, though, was the fact that there was such a significant drop-off between the box office for Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man 1, which had come out two years previous and had made $262 million domestic versus the 200. So there was more than a 20% drop-off in stateside ticket earnings. But the thing that really freaked them out is the first reboot of the Spider-Man series, got a 72 freshness rating over uh, at Rotten Tomatoes. By the second film, it had dropped down to 52%. The critics particularly had turned 
on the films, and even the audience rating fell as well. And now, mind you, Columbia's already set the release dates for Amazing Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 4. 3 was supposed to come out in June of 2016. 4 was it was already booked to go out in May of 2018. And not only that, but do you remember how they, they were even talking about doing that Sinister Six movie? Oh, yes. They've been working up on that from day one since Raimi was going to do all the classic villains. They were going to work their mm-hmm. way, and then they got divorced before they could make episode four, and then yep. they reboot, and then they're like, hey, we'll throw in the rhino, and we'll put him in the advertising, and that little clip you saw in the advertising amounted to about exactly how much she was in the actual movie, and then they're like, oh, don't worry, it'll be coming up in Sinister Six here in a couple of years. We just got to get this other movie out of the way, and mm-hmm. there were so many problems with the amazing Spider-Man on story levels that it's I funny mean, you say that because it was uh, you know uh, uh, i think the other day you know they they always run all of the different variations of the spider-man movies when you know a new one's arriving in theaters and yeah i was watching amazing spider-man 2 and it just it seemed to me you have paul giamatti and you literally use him this much i mean it's like isn't that kind of the equivalent of having a Ferrari and, you know, it's like, well, I drive it down to the mailbox, I get my mail and I put it back in the garage. No, but that's always been Sony's problem of they wanted to world build around Spider-Man mm-hmm. and they would cram a movie full of unused or unexplored or unfinished ideas. It was mm-hmm. about Peter's dad and the mystery thing in the, was it the subway or whatever? And it was like, there they tease that mm-hmm. in the first movie. They tease it in the second movie. It doesn't get resolved. It doesn't come together. You could excise that entirely from both of those movies and make a stronger mm-hmm. film because you don't have excess stuff that's never, ever resolved. It's wasted time. Marvel does this very, very well. They do it with a quick thing, a line, a moment, they don't mm-hmm. explore it with a, you know, 10-minute scene and, and then let it dangle forever. They cover it by the next movie. And Sony wanted to build the things. That's why, overall, I'm very, very tense about this overall situation of everything being back in Sony's hands. Because so far, I mean, they had critical success, yes, with Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But they've made a lot of tragic core choices with Spider-Man when they've been able to get their fingers in the mix. And I want to exclude Sam Raimi's versions for a while. No, I get that. I get that. So, okay, it's summer of 2014. And Kevin Feige calls Amy Pascal. She's the then chairman of Sony Pictures. And says, hey, let's have lunch. Kevin has waited till, you know, the bulk of the ticket sales have come in, at least stateside for Amazing Spider-Man 2. So everybody in the industry is aware that this one misfired for some reason. And so this story is recounted by Ben Fritz. Uh, He's the entertainment reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He wrote a book last year called The Big Picture, The Fight for the Future of Movies. And he tells the story of Feige sitting there at lunch with Amy Pascal and says, you've screwed up Spider-Man again. How about this? What if... We produce the new movie. We pick the new Spider-Man and we introduce him in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And according to Fritz, Pascal got so mad at Feige for suggesting this, she threw her sandwich at Kevin at lunch and told him to get the F out of here. I hope it was a hero sandwich. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Okay. You know, and so things would have been okay, I guess. But then October of 2014, 
Remember how the Koreans hacked the emails at Sony Pictures and mm-hmm. suddenly all of this private communique came spilling out for all of Hollywood to see? And it, it was a really embarrassing time for Sony, especially for Amy. And she had to do something to sort of turn this all around. So she turns around and reaches out to Feige and it's like, okay, all right, let's make this deal. They announced this deal February of 2015. Train's already rolling on Civil War, the film that the new Spider-Man is supposed to be introduced in. You know, production starts April 2015, and they now have to find a brand new Peter Parker. And they're shooting while they're holding auditions. Eventually, they settle on six kids. They finally do a test with Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. They like what they see. June 23rd. All right, so they are six weeks into production. Excuse me, eight weeks into production. And they finally settle on their Spider-Man. And poor Tom Holland, they throw him in the costume. And the very next thing, he's on set in Leipzig shooting the airport scene. I mean, talk about being dropped in the deep end. You know, that actually mirrors exactly what happens to Peter Parker in the movie. One day he's at home, the next thing Tony Stark shows up, goes, come on, kid, we're going to Germany. And he's next day in Germany. And probably the, when they opened the suitcase and he saw the Spider-Man costume was probably the first time he tried the damn thing on. <laughs> like, oh, my God, look at the eyes. That's crazy. Oh, that's good. Put that in the film. <laughs> oh, that is. That's probably very true. Anyway, Civil War comes out following year, May 2016. Cost $250 million to make, but it makes $1.15 billion. And meanwhile, Spider-Man Homecoming arrives in theaters the following July. Costs $175 million to make, makes $880 million worldwide. So it costs less to make than Amazing Spider-Man 2, and it sells more tickets. So Sony is immediately happy. Not only that, but if we go back to talking about the freshness rating, remember... Amazing Spider-Man 2 got a, only a 52% freshness rating. Homecoming got a 92. It was like all of the critics approved of this, and the audience rating was through the roof. Then after that, April of 2018, we get Infinity Wars. April of this year, we get Endgame. One film makes $2 billion. The other one makes $2.8 billion. And... One of the reasons that people went back to see this movie a couple of different times was the relationship between Tony Stark and Peter Parker. That's the great thing, I think, about that they understood going into Far From Home, that to continue that story, to sort of resolve it, to still have the Peter Parker character mourning Tony. And that film goes on to become a billion-dollar earner as well. So here's Disney They've made these two films, and that's that's the crucial thing to understand here. The original deal with Sony Pictures Entertainment was for only two films. So that's Homecoming and Far From Home. The Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame appearances did not count toward those. Two. You know, it's kind of, I think we've talked about the, the Hulk deal with Universal, that right. as long as... He's not a lead character. It really doesn't count Mm -hmm. that if he's a member of an ensemble. So from Disney's side of the fence, from Marvel's side of the fence, this deal clearly worked out for Sony's favor. It also worked out on the Marvel side of the fence because one of their more popular characters has returned to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So here's Disney and Marvel talking with Sony about, well, okay, so we're at the end of this two-picture deal. We obviously like to continue this going into Phase 4. And right now, 
because we're all getting to know each other. You know, on the first two films, Marvel and Disney only got 5% of the ticket sales sold for the two Spider-Man movies, the Sony Spider-Man movies. And I can't get confirmed whether or not this is first dollar ticket sales or this is they get 5% of the ticket sales after these two Spider-Man films recover their production costs. But what Disney wants to do going forward is like, look, we've helped to increase the value of Spider-Man. And going forward, why don't we split the production costs 50-50? And, you know, we'll help you with the scripts. We'll help you with the casting. We'll make members, you know, cast members like Nick Fury from the Marvel Cinematic Universe available to appear in films. But we, for doing that, we want our percentage of the box office to increase from 5% to 25%. What's your take on that, Aaron? If I were at Sony and I were a wise, rational thinking person, I would give it to them. Mm-hmm. But there's a corporate mentality of, we've got to make more money. We've just got to make more money. How can we make more money? Did we make more money? Yes. Well, how can we make more than that? Mm-hmm. That's always what they think about. And so it's not usually in their vocabulary to give up money on a table. Beyond that is the fact Mm -hmm. that you know darn well that Sony has a whole bunch of stuff that is Spider-Man related that they can't put Spider-Man into right now. You've got Venom 2 on the way. You've got Morbius that's being filmed right now that has no (laughs) Spider-Man. You've got a a black and silver movie that they've been dreaming of for the last, you know, five or ten years now. That's all about Black Cat and Silver Sable. And the linchpin, Spider-Man, is not available to, you know, be there for that. So I think they want to just take Spider-Man back, make him into a comic book hero of Bond, Mm -hmm. which is their only other franchise that they can reliably bet on, and then take his long list of villains and just let him play in his own universe for a while. And because Disney's already inflated the value of the character by allowing him into the MCU, they're betting that if they just don't say anything at all, we can pretend we're still in the MCU without having to verify it by having another character show up from the MCU. We don't have to reference anything specifically. We'll just not mention it through the next, you know, five or six movies. I'm not going to say you're not wrong, but but another thing that frankly influenced this was the success of Venom this past October. That cost $100 million to make and made 800 and some odd overseas. And Into the Spider-Verse, not the biggest earner, get $355 million worldwide, but it got Sony its first ever Oscar for Best Animated Feature. and So it's puffed up Sony that where they feel that they can A, make back their money on a solo anti-hero like Venom, and they can no. win awards with great storytelling. So they think they've got all the right combination, the, the key components, to be able to bring Spider-Man back. Now the question resides is, can they actually do that? We talked about how Andy Serkis has just come on board as the director of Venom 2. And back in June of this year, Amy Pascal confirmed that not only is there a sequel in the works to Enter the Spider-Verse, but they're also exploring a spinoff, you know, some sort of a, a film built around Spider-Gwen. So it's not that they don't actually have things in the tank. No, but I mean, just in the in the very fluid way that Marvel was able to drop Spidey into a movie that was already in production, like Civil mm-hmm. War, 
I mm-hmm. bet Sony is thinking that they're just as quick on their feet and they can retool a script and plop Spidey right in the middle of a Venom 2 sequel with no problems and, heck, maybe even have him show up for a quick cameo in the Morbius movie just to say that he's in the universe. And I'm just so leery of everything that could be done wrong. Well, let's try to stress the positive here. First of all, it's been suggested from multiple quarters that this story was deliberately leaked to the entertainment press by Disney with the hope that as the direct result of the the big outcry from Marvel fans that Sony would come back to the table and they could find a way to make this work. Also, from the Marvel side of the fence, if you, you look at what Marvel Studios has in production for the next year, two, three, with things like the Eternals and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Black Widow, the opportunity to drop Spider-Man into a Marvel Cinematic Universe wasn't going to happen anyway till maybe Black Panther 2, which isn't supposed to be released to theaters till May of 2002. I don't know, man, because in a lot of the last most recent MCU movies, there have been a whole lot of characters showing up in places I didn't really expect them to show up. And mm-hmm. there, it's just the fact that they're available. They've got a good working relationship, you know, between the actor and, and Marvel and Disney. So the actor's like, oh, sure, I'll come back for a five minute, you know, drop in, whatever, mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. these little appearances. So I think if Marvel had Spidey to play with, they would drop him in whenever they found a, an excuse to drop him in. Like the, you mentioned earlier, the contracts that they had with Sony, where yep. they could drop him into as long as, as he's not the lead character. Well, that would just give them carte blanche to pepper him in, you know, with everything. You know, they'd be like garlic with Emerald Legacy. The bam, we'll throw a little Spider-Man in there. Bam. <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> they just um, pepper it in. So, if the pattern holds, you know, we had a Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. We had Far From Home showing up 2019. So, in theory, Spider-Man three would arrive July of 2021. Now, there, there was a headline, excuse me, a Vanity Fair article about this where Kevin appeared to be very gracious, you know, saying things to the effect of, it was never meant to last forever. They made this deal for two films, and they're happy with those two films, and they're moving on. But on the other hand, I've heard from folks at Disney that evidently Feige has reached out to John Watts, the director of Far From Home and Homecoming, and has offered him the opportunity to direct a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And would he say yes, he might not necessarily be available to direct the third Spider-Man film. Someone playing hardball? Is that what's going on? Yeah, so I feel like I'm kind of in a time loop right now, Aaron, because remember last year when James Gunn was on the outside looking in and everybody was fretting about, oh my God, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride for Epcot. How is this going to impact that? Now all I'm hearing from folks is, oh my God, the Spider-Man ride for California Adventure and Disney and Sony aren't talking. Does this mean Tom Holland is is not going to be in that? And none of us predicted that Disney and James Gunn would manifest this. Though I come to think of though, though, you know, I think you and I did talk about particularly the way Gunn was handling situations and you know the way the studio was behaving. We sort of noodled on the idea that well maybe. 
this will resolve itself in a good way. But, you know, we we had no idea it actually was. It's entirely possible that Walt Disney Imagineering can cut a deal on its own with Tom Holland and Sony to have that version of Spider-Man come in and build the attraction around that. It, Jim, all, all it takes is a can of black spray paint and you've got yourself a night monkey attraction. <laughs> right? Okay, folks. Well, tell you what, uh, when we get back from this commercial break, we will uh, talk about a, a lot of the Marvel-related news that came out of the, the Expo this year, which uh, I swear to God doesn't include any information on the Night Monkey attraction. All right, I, I want to preface this, folks, by saying there was so much Marvel news coming out of this year's D23 Expo, that it didn't seem fair, especially for you folks who actually have lives, to do a 12-hour-long show. So we're going to hold the movie-related news and the Disney Plus-related news for the next show. And Aaron and I will do a, a deep dive there, because we have to, because they're doing a, a She-Hulk series, Aaron. <laughs> She-Hulk! Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited about that idea. I didn't think that she would uh, get made so quickly, and I'm very very happy that she is. Yeah, I just but I'm sorry if we get started, we'll never get the show back on track. So we're going to pivot now to Sunday's Parks and Resorts presentation, which featured a lot of information about the Avengers campuses, which. Aaron, you were pointing out kind of an elegant solution to Disney's name problem here. Yeah, if they've got to deal with Universal saying this side of the Mississippi, you can't say this word, and that side of the Mississippi, you can't say that word. So what is it? Universal has the name Marvel for uh, theme parks. Yeah. And so, what else was there that was like very specific? Was there anything beyond Marvel? I know they had well, the poster with all of the characters. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll put that hodgepodge off to the side, but there wasn't any other branded name like... I remember early on when they were sort of hyping this idea that, that these Marvel lands for Paris and Hong Kong and Anaheim, they just studiously avoided the word Marvel and kept hammering on superhero. Right. So I have to admit, you know, Avengers Campus is kind of an elegant solution to this. I think so as well. As far as having to re, you know, find a new identity for mm -hmm. your brand, Avengers is a very good thing to hang a name on for a place. Now, at the event, Bob Chapek, the head of Disney Parks uh, Products and Experiences, introduced uh, Scott Drake. He's uh, the one who's heading up the Marvel projects at Disney Parks right now. And so the way he explained what's going on here is that have we ever talked about the Iron Man experience that's over at Hong Kong Disneyland, Aaron? No, not yet. Okay. Well, the whole conceit of this, this attraction is, is Tony Stark is staging an expo in Hong Kong and Hydra, these sort of mechanized Hydra bots kind of crash the show and are trying to get, you know, scoop up all of this Stark tech Mm -hmm. Tony has to enlist the audience to help him out to defeat Hydra. So we're kind of in the, the wake of that. And so there's been a decision made that given that these sorts of attacks are happening, they need that many more superheroes to do battle with Hydra. So they've set up these three satellite Avengers campuses, again, at Hong Kong Disneyland, at 
Disney's California Adventure and at Walt Disney Studios Paris. Quick question. Uh, it, the Tony Stark, is that Robert Downey Jr. on a video screen? Is it an actor playing Stark? I've been told it's a sound-alike. Okay. Because, again, remember, this is in Hong Kong. Right. And so what they've done for the, I want to say, the four different languages that are used for this part of the world for the films, it's not Robert Downey Jr., but it may be the actor who actually dubs Iron Man Tony Stark for, for this territory. So... It's always been a question of, okay, so when and if this ride comes stateside, does that mean we get Robert Downey Jr. on board here? Yeah, I didn't know if they were going to go like with the Guardians of the Galaxy thing and actually get actors into video stuff for rides. And I'm sure, obviously, there's going to be many times there's going to be a, an actor a cast member that's that's portraying someone in a suit. But, you know, oh, for those bigger yeah. features, you you would think if they're trying to sell the Avengers, that means that they might actually get some of the actors from the movies to film parts for, for various parts of the attractions. Actually, you should go on YouTube. As part of this attraction, they have they do have a meet and greet with Iron Man, but they have this this amazing effect where, you know, you sort of bring the family into the space to, to meet Iron Man. And you can see through this opaque screen off to the side of the meet and greet area, they do this projected effect of Iron Man flying in. He he oh, right. lands, and you can see the fire effect from his boots through this opaque material. And then the door opens, and cast member dressed as Iron Man strides out and meets with the family. And it's to watch the little kids at this moment who kind of lose their mind because he just flew in. Yeah, and now right. he's here in front of me, and oh my god, they've really done a great job, and they're trying going forward to sort of do this same thing. I mean, for example, for California Adventure, there is going to be off to the side this sort of wreckage, this old temple that's kind of tumbled in on itself, and if you're really looking at it, it's like, wait a minute, that's the Mind Stone, or excuse me, the uh, Doctor Strange is the Time Stone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, some wreckage that suggests that, and. You're going to eventually find out this was a sanctorium in California that kind of fell in on itself, but Doctor Strange can still use it to sort of travel to this part of the world. And so... Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm just dreaming here as you're talking. It sounds wonderful and delightful. Mm-hmm. If Doctor Strange, you know, has the time stone available to him at, at this moment in time, and mm-hmm. you've got debris, you know, the old ride with earthquake ride or whatever, where you know mm. stuff would fall apart. So imagine oh. where every, you have a, a enemy, a nemesis mm. come by, chaos ensues, stuff crumbles and falls, people run screaming, you know, actors that mm-hmm. run screaming. And uh, then all of a sudden, Doctor Strange comes by with the time stone and sets everything back to its starting position, which also resets it for the next show in a half an hour. That's really a click. Okay, Imagineers, remember, the check goes to Aaron Adams. That's a good idea. Because they're trying to make this as family-friendly as possible. There have been some changes to the plan. I think we talked early on about the Ant-Man and the Wasp microbrewery that was supposed to have, like, a giant beer can on the top of the building. To make this that much more family-friendly, that concept is now mutated into the PIM test kitchen, so the idea is you can go into this restaurant and have oversized food. Okay, so I'm imagining a slice of pizza that would take up the normal space of a, a regular pizza, but it's just in the shape of a slice. 
right? You can still feed the whole family just the same. It's just in a different shape, but it looks the part. That's pretty brilliant. I like it. Okay. Again, the checks go to Aaron Adams. And now, on the other hand, we have the Spider-Man ride, which we, we've talked about previously, Aaron. And right now, it is still, for lack of a better term, it's clone or, or uses the same ride system as Toy Story Midway Mania. Uh, they've, if they, at least now we have the story concept for the show that uh, Spider-Man has taken up residence in WEB, which is the Worldwide Engineering Brigade. And he's been experimenting with new technology in this Stark Industries-sponsored thing. And unfortunately, Peter's invented a spider bot that he was going to be using for target practice and that sort of thing. And somehow this spider bot has replicated itself and is running loose in the city. And this is where the guests get, get roped in. But Peter has also issued everybody their own web slingers. So you help Peter as they go, goes through the city, gathering up all of these spider bots that are broken loose. And it sounds very family friendly and that's not necessarily a bad thing in a Disney theme park, but you and I have talked about the amazing Spider-Man attraction that opened at Islands Adventure back in May of 99 mm-hmm. and had its upgrade in March of 2012 with 4K HD and folding in all sorts of Stan Lee cameos. And it just seems like to be arriving with this sort of Spider-Man attraction when the Amazing Spider-Man ride at Islands has been out there since 99, it's kind of a step down. On the other hand, again, who knows, you know, if they do get to manage to get Tom Holland involved, you got a little style power. And what's kind of interesting, at least in the concept art, is they show people they're not, they don't have the silly guns for uh, Midway Mania, they actually show them making sort of the thwip gesture, and you're seeing, uh, you know, and again, this is concept art. Always dangerous to to put too much weight into what they say, you know, is a ride is going to feature, that sort of thing. But they actually show people making gestures and supposedly web fluid flying out from their hands and shooting these things. So Spidey is a very difficult character for a ride concept because mm-hmm. most of what he does, you just can't do. I mean, they tried the pendulum idea to give you a sense of swinging and mm-hmm. people got nauseated or fear of heights or whatever it was that the combination was. They took it off the table and said, we can't do that. And if you get rid of the idea of web swinging, obviously you're not going to have a bunch of people punching and and kicking their way through a fight or anything like Mm -hmm. that. You're not going to be doing any acrobatics of any sort and jumping on walls or anything crazy like that. So you really start to get very limited as to what type of concept you can build your attraction around. And as much as I may not be all a gaga over the ride sound of it, It's what they've got. Now, the other thing that I think could have been cool, and maybe they'll explore it more, is the fact that Peter is one of the smartest people in the MCU. I mean, obviously, Mr. Fantastic and Stark Mm -hmm. are the brilliant ones. But Peter's no slouch. He invented Mm -hmm. all of his own gear in the comics and whatnot. And even in the movies, he created his own webbing formula and stuff like that. So Peter's brilliant. And he's doing something with the this Worldwide Engineering Brigade or whatever it's called with Web. Mm-hmm. And I yep. think that today you can go on a, into like any Target or whatever and buy a little Snapkit electronics kit. 
where it may be a light sensor circuit or something that emits a beep, but it's very, very simplistic things that snap together, almost Lego-like, to create an electronic circuit. And it teaches your kids about engineering electronics and how electricity works and stuff like that. And I think that might be a good place to do something with Spidey is, you know, if you can't swing around the city, give the kids an exciting way to learn something. And those kits are cheap, you know? So if you can sell them for five, ten bucks or whatever, and it's got a Spider-Man logo on it, and it teaches something about electronics and engineering and stuff like that, I think that would make Peter the character in, in fiction proud to be associated with that. That's kind of intriguing way to go with the standard post-shop or post-attraction gift shop. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely get behind that idea. Yeah, do something educational. Anything with science would be a good tchotchke to put on the shelf yeah totally agree yeah so we get phase one of california adventures version of the avengers campus should be opening next year now mind you given the issues that they've had with uh star wars galaxy's edge at disneyland park this might get pushed back a little bit folks they have to make sure that's that's running the way it's supposed to but the more interesting thing is that as part of this D23 Expo presentation, Bob Chapek mentioned the Phase 2 attraction, which really bumps out the concept of the Avengers campus. The idea here is that you would go to a building that's very much like what we've seen in Endgame and Infinity Wars, the upstate campus that Stark had built on land that he, he owned. And here, supposedly, guests would get the chance to board a Quinjet. And the idea was we were going to be taking them to Wakanda. But once they arrive, there is this battle royale going on with all sorts of Marvel characters. And you are recruited to help. But the first version of this isn't it supposed to open until 2023. And not only that, it opens at Hong Kong Disneyland. That's the, the first place it opens. So I'm hearing it could be as late as 2025, which, uh, remember, that's, that's Disneyland's 80th birthday. So that would be something of size to get people to come back to the parks. Walt Disney Studios Paris, I'm not entirely sure of the timeline there. I do know... That next week on September 2nd, that theme park's rock and roller coaster starring Aerosmith closes for good. Uh, they keep the ride system in place. And on the other side of that, that gets retooled as an entirely different Iron Man ride. They're trying to sell the concept that at each of the Avengers campuses around the globe, mm -hmm. there are going to be different experiences. Hong Kong, early this year, in fact, I want to say March, they opened that Ant-Man and the Wasp nano battle. Mm -hmm. That's supposed to be the only place on the planet you get to experience nano battle. Likewise, when this retooled version of Rock and Roller Coaster opens with Iron Man, that's the only place on the planet you get to experience that. On the other hand, this Quinjet experience seems to be the one chunk that is going to be built at all three of these campuses. But it's been suggested that perhaps each of them will get different ride films. So, Is that trying to get people to travel across the world to get each Avengers experience? Is that because it is themed so particularly to its natural location? What's the reasoning for not 
duplicating it. It seems like they have a good thing at Disney World. You clone it and put it in Disneyland. I mean, Star Wars Land has got all the same attractions, right? So It's interesting you bring that up because one of the concerns coming out of what just happened in Anaheim this past summer were they had far lighter crowds than expected because... Nobody knows Batu. You know, it's not from any of the films. They haven't seen Black Spire Outpost until they walk through the door here. In fact, there's been some discussion about, because as part of the expansion of Walt Disney Studios Paris, there's a plan to not only with the Avengers Campus, but also to add a frozen land. And then right next to that, another version of, of Galaxy's Edge only. This time around, it's like, maybe we should make that Tatooine. Maybe we should right. make this a place that people actually know, as opposed to yet another clone of Black Spire Outpost. If they've got the space, or what are they called? Launch pad Expansion pads? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, uh, and I don't know the, the map out of every Disney territory by any means, but, you know, I'm mm-hmm. just spitballing stupid ideas at the wall. You've got Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So in something like Batu, I know they built a mountain so they could hide Rise of the Resistance or whatever mm-hmm. ride mm-hmm. in there. I'm thinking for Avengers, you've got the Quinjet and it's kind of parked on a, a little pad. And mm-hmm. uh, for the takeoff, and it just kind of rotates. And you, you go out in what used to be green lush fields and you come out the other side and it's like the African jungle and you're actually on the backside of the uh, animal kingdom or the animal safari. What is it? What is it called? Oh, Kilimanjaro Safari. Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. that's that's not a bad idea, especially in regard to, to Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you double that as Wakanda, but like you're actually kind of using the, the scenery and, and whatnot for A, the illusion that you've traveled a great distance. And then B, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's just the our animal park on the backside, but it looks the part of Wakanda. So we just got to build a fake little you know, a couple of buildings over here and whatnot. And if they plan it out right, you know, like Frozen could be hot. The downside with that idea, though, is remember, we're coming up against the master licensing agreement with Universal, which, by the way, we we do at some point have to circle back on that project. I've got all those photos of the characters in Marvel Superhero Island at Island's Adventure, and it would be would be nice to finally put together that definitive list as to who supposedly is is included in this and who is not. Oh, uh, before I forget here, one of the other elements of what they're doing for Paris, at least, is they're taking their Hotel New York. In fact, that closed in January of this year, and it's being totally rethemed. And when it reopens next summer, it's going to be Hotel Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel. And you and I are going to have to figure out how to get over there, Aaron, because they're going to have over 300 pieces uh, curated pieces of art. They're going to have this amazing display of, for example, in the lobby, they're going to have no less than 15 different uh, recreations of the various Iron Man outfits. I mean, it sounds like the place to go. It sounds like I'm, uh, I'm ready to plan a heist in my head is what's happening here. <laughs> When you were talking yes, about it, going out there to visit. Sir, uh, I can't help but notice that you brought 15 steamer trucks with you and they seem awfully light. It's like. Oh, they won't be of, for long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And to bring things full circle here, because we've got, we were just talking about it on the first half of the show, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, that storytelling coaster. We finally have a name for this thing. It is called Cosmic Rewind. The concept right now is that this is the first ever other world pavilion to be built 
at Epcot. Hmm. In fact, uh, the story breakdown, your adventure starts in the Galaxarium, uh, which is a planetarium-like exhibit that explores the similarities and mysteries of the formation of Earth's galaxy in Xandar, which should be a familiar destination for fans of Guardians of the Galaxy. Guests will be invited to learn more about the treasures Xandar has to share, that is, until the Guardians of the Galaxy arrive on the scene. And once that happens, your adventure of the cosmos begins. So I'm starting to think because Guardians of the Galaxy is in Epcot, which mm-hmm. seems weird because to me, Epcot has always been uh, land of the future with all these little tiny representations of other nations. Mm-hmm. But I am totally seeing the big giant ball planet Earth being quickly turned into a cerebro for Charles Xavier to sit in the middle of. And then all those little nations are going to get a a villain, you know, (laughs) and then we're going to have heroes and we're going to have battles in the streets. And pretty soon Epcot will be not Marvel land. Can't call it that. It'll be uh, uh, Charles Xavier's park for gifted youngsters. Uh, This is the part where I bring up that actually is part of this D23 parks and resort presentation. They did mention they are, in fact, retooling Spaceship Earth, and they're going from a history of communication to a history of storytelling. And at least one of the pieces of concept art that they showed for this thing showed Moana inside of the attraction. So, hell, if Moana's inside, hey, Charles Xavier, sure, what the hey? Especially given that Disney just got the X-Men back. Do you see Epcot turning into something other than what it's traditionally been its entire life is, is the guardians a sign of things to come or is it just a weird wrinkle that happened to just fit there? Epcot. Well, first of all, the future world is going away. The future world name is gone. The front half of the park now is broken into three different zones. There is world discovery, which is the side that that actually Guardians of the Galaxy is located on, along Mm. with the mission space and, in fact, the the new uh, restaurant that replicates being 220 miles out in space. Center of Future World now is going to be known as World Celebration, and the gimmick here is outdoor kitchens, green festival space. I mean, the idea is this is the sort of the lobby to the World Showcase, which these days... Between food and wine, flower and garden, the arts festival, the holidays around the world, it's basically 365 days of partying anyway, so why not have the party start at the front of the park as opposed to making people schlep all the way back to World Showcase Lagoon? And then to the far right, uh, where you have Living Seas in the Land, you actually have World Nature. So Guardians is going to fit right in with this new retooled, far more, you know, emphasizing entertainment version of Epcot. And they're really changing this part of the park. And and Guardians is is a big chunk of that. It's going to be this amazing storytelling coaster that can rotate 360 degrees. And again, featuring that wonderful film elements that James Gunn will be shooting during production of Guardians 3. Which is, again, given the fact that James basically came back from the dead. I'm still still holding out hope here, Aaron, that this whole Disney-Sony divorce thing is a negotiating ploy. And that, that maybe, especially if you look at, at the films that Marvel has set up for the first half of Phase 4, where 
it doesn't look all that easy to fold Spidey into those. The best advice I could ever conjure for both Sony and for Marvel and Disney, same exact words, don't be so greedy. If you both take that advice Mm -hmm. as a starting point, we can all have our Spider-Man back. But the thing that kind of guts me is the fact that he was dusted and brought back only so he could be dusted once again for no stupid other reason than greed. And Mm. that's the part that bugs me the most is it doesn't matter if you're talking about Disney or you're talking about Sony. Greed is both their essential problems for this creative project that we all love so much. Mm-hmm. And until mm-hmm. they get past a, the dollar point negotiation, it's it's not about the art. It's certainly not about the art. Otherwise, they they wouldn't stop. They would let Sony do movies with Spidey, and they would do movies with Spidey, and they'd go, hey, man, it's all good. It's just art, man. But that's not mm-hmm. their attitude. It's a business. They got to run it like a business, and they always got to go, mm-hmm. how do we make more money? How do we make more money? And so, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Holland's going to do his best job, right? Oh, yeah. I think there was another quote that came out on Monday that it's like, it's going to be okay. I mean, the film, the Spider-Man films going forward are going to be a little different. But, you know, again, he's trying to put the best possible face on it. But, you know, if you're redoing an entire front half of a theme park like you are at Epcot, that's expensive. So, And I got to be honest, you know, I mean, I I did like Spider-Man Far From Home quite a bit. But mm-hmm. there was a whole lot of Tony Stark in that movie for not having one shot of Robert Downey Jr. in that movie, right? I mean, That's true. I, I That's do true. have that sense of, you know, to try and be fair-minded about everything, that mm-hmm. if Sony does take back Spider-Man wholeheartedly, and they do carry on with Tom Holland, that means mm-hmm. they're going to try and carry on with what he created before they took mm-hmm. control back. And so they're going to have that creative mindset in place, but they're also going to let Spider-Man just be in a Spider-Man movie that he doesn't require to have to talk about another superhero. He can just have his own adventures for a while. And I'm on board with that mentality, but I also, from the comics, greatly enjoyed when uh, Johnny Storm and Spidey were hanging out on the Statue of Liberty chatting. Oh, no, I agree. You know what I mean? And it's like the Fantastic Four is right around the corner, and we're so close to being able to have that moment happen. And the other thing is, like, in Endgame, I got to see Spider-Man holding on to the Infinity Gauntlet, flipping his web onto Mjolnir, flying through the air to land on a Pegasus with Valkyrie. I never thought I'd see that in my entire life. That's the kind of bonus stuff that you get by being able to play within the confines of the MCU. And that's the stuff that I'm going to mourn not having. I'm hoping this all sorts itself out at some point because I really, really, really want to see J.K. Simmons back as J. Jonah Jameson. And if I'm remembering the story, it was Feige who brought him back to the table, not Sony. So, eh. all right. We will hope for happier news going forward here. After all, we are talking about... This is Disney Fox. This isn't an 800-pound gorilla. This is an 8-million-pound gorilla. Who knows? You know, maybe through Hulu, maybe through Disney+. Plus. Maybe there's something that Sony really, really wants that only Disney has. And maybe that will be the negotiating chip that gets Spidey backfolded back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But for now... I think, as you said at the top of the show, we'll we'll have to find out where Tom Holland is spending Christmas. Right. Anyway, I guess that brings us to the the, the end of this week's show, folks. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. And if you 
By the way, again, this isn't the only podcast we do here at Jim Hill Media. We also have Disney Dish with Lentesta. We also have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zaher, uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, and I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. Do us both a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. If you can head over to Bandcap and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. Beyond that, Aaron, looking out over, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything that's going on, uh, you know, especially next time around when we talk about the Disney Plus thing, anything particularly you're looking forward to chatting about? Yeah, all of it. Uh, there's <laughs> just, you know, Real quick, as, as we're getting ready to wrap up, Disney was running a deal where you could subscribe early for Disney Plus. Yes, yes. And it was, you, you know. had to basically buy Pony Up for three years up front at a discounted rate. It was under four bucks a month was the, the average price that it came out to or something. But uh, it was... It, was so hot that it broke their interwebs for a little bit on their, their website went down and you couldn't mm-hmm. <laughs> get signed up for it. But, uh, that was going on, I think until the beginning of September. So it's, yeah. it didn't yeah. last long. So if you're listening on day one of this release and you want to get Disney plus quick, go to the websites and do a quick Google search for their, their deal. Okay. Excellent. Excellent suggestion. And again, we'll talk about all that Disney plus stuff when Aaron and I get back, but Until then, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.